Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Today, our brother Brent is still in town, so thank you. Come on up, brother, if you will. Thank you. Yes, sir. Right? Right? Does that mean they liked it last time? Yeah, thank you. That's the three people over here. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. It's, uh, I, I was sharing last, uh, last service, it's, it's one of the best weeks we've had in Aspen, uh, you know, since we moved away. And I think it's because we have no friends where we live now on the farm. And so the relationships that we do have here, we just appreciate so much more. Uh, and it's wonderful. But uh, if you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to hear it. This is really a part two. And that really set the, uh, the, the foundation uh, for what I want to talk about today. But nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Who knows that statement or the understanding of that uh, uh, phrase? And, you know, many times you see uh, in, in any sport, there's the underdog team. You know, some team that's managed to get through the final against all odds, and they usually do better, you know, and they usually win. And the reason is, is because they have, no one has any expectation. There's no pressure or anything like that, and they have nothing to lose. They shouldn't even be there in the first place so they can just play without all the other nonsense that comes of like we have to win or this. They just play the best, what they have. They give what they have and do what they can do, and, and they win the game. And I want to challenge you today for us to live life like we have nothing to lose. You're like, yeah, that sounds nice for a sermon, Brent, but in reality, I have a lot to lose. You know, I can lose my house. I can you know, lose my money, I can lose all of these things, but I want to show you today, in light of eternity, we have nothing to lose. And we can live life in a way led by faith, not reckless, but led by faith in a way that we have nothing to lose. Do you know evangelism back in the day, as the Bible records it, was really adventurous. You know, it wasn't just slipping someone a tract or forwarding them uh, an email or a daily devotional like, you should read this. And that's great. Keep doing that. But it was, it was dangerous. Listen to uh, Paul's account of his evangelistic journey. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. And we're like, wow, Paul, that's pretty dramatic. You could have just said, like, this was a dangerous journey, but he really wanted to break it down about how much danger he was in as he went on this journey. And as you're listening to that, you're like, yeah, that's exactly why I don't want to evangelize. Like, I don't want to live in danger in the Starbucks and in danger on the ski lift and in danger... <laughs> at the restaurant. I just want to like be safe. But you need to realize that this was Paul's journey. And God has a journey that is tailored for you, but it is still filled with wonderful adventure. But it's adventure that you will look back on and go, that was phenomenal because that's how Paul looked back on his life. Paul loved what he had got to do. Are you with me? Listen, he carries on. 
I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And you're like, that sounds terrible. Like, if you are trying to sell me on something, Brent, you lost me at hello, right? We are not, I don't want to get involved in something like that. But I need to tell you that many times when we are on an adventure that God has us on in this life, we don't see how wonderful it is at the time. Who's ever been through something hard and now looking back, you're like, I wouldn't change a thing. Anyone? You're like, for where I am today and who I am today, I wouldn't change a thing. Last week I shared why, what gives me courage to be able to take life-changing uh, direction and, and being able to trust in the Lord to fix our messes. And uh, I really want you to hear that. And it's, it's the belief that God is walking with us, leading us and helping us. And for all different personalities. Uh, they say that there are two types of personalities in this regard. It's fight or flight. Who knows that? How many? And, and one's not better than another in, in different circumstances. It's good. If you, like that shark we spoke about last week, and you have a flight mentality, you're probably going to survive. If you have a fight mentality with a shark, you're probably a goner. But I have a fight mentality, meaning that if you jump out in the dark, I'm probably going to hit you without even thinking. Where somebody else might freeze up and fall over. That's how you know if you fight or flight. Which has one, fight is wonderful, has wonderful attributes. Like if we together and a robber jumps out, you want a fight mentality uh, personality to be with you. But it also has a downside. So I was with my family the other day and we were singing songs of praise to the Lord in the car. <laughs> And we had the traffic light on vacation, peace, the mountains, the birds are singing, and the light turns green, and hold oh, behind me. And immediately, my uh, Wolverine claws come out, just straight away. Who has that? You're the Wolverine, before you've even thought. And so all my special ops training lead me to put the car into reverse, and I'm about to slam the car into the car behind me. Thank goodness for the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. my wife. So I'm like, it's just a reaction, right? And so immediately my mom and my wife are like, don't do anything. Don't react. Remember, you're a pastor. You know, all those things. And so hug again. I'm like, what on earth? And all I can do, you know, God just gives you the strength to get through that situation. And all I can do is just white knuckle the steering wheel so that I don't do anything bad. And then the light, and, and I pull around, and this car pulls around, and he has this smiling, good-looking man. And as he sees me, his face changes. <laughs> and it was someone in this church <laughs> who thought I was Brian's because I was driving Brian's car. Anyway, so that Wolverine moment turned to a lot of laughter and I, was, and I was thinking about that. And that story has caused a lot of people to laugh. And what I'm saying is, even moments that are, look like they're going to be one way can go a completely different way. And I'm so glad that that happened because we laughed and laughed and laughed about that situation. You hear what I'm saying? And God is with us through everything and even in the messes. God is there to redeem and to help us with different personalities and different styles and different ways. Often we, you know, you look at Pastor Steve and you're like, I will never be like that. Good. 
I'm glad. We don't want any more Pastor Steve's. We just want one. But we want you being you. Because when you are you, then God can work through you in a way that he can't work through you if you're trying to be me or Pastor Steve or my wife or whatever it might be. Because we are not that special. We are not that special to rob you of the gift that is inside of you for you to be who God has created you to be. So uh, talking about being cold and, and, and shivering and adventure and hard at the time, my, my friend Kip, uh, I'd asked somebody at the, at the church to take us on a, a real manly adventure because we don't do those things. We don't even camp. I don't know how to thread a fishing rod or any of those things. I know how to code and I can code a fishing rod, a virtual one, but... So he puts this trip together. We're going to canoe 36 miles. I'm like, what? And then before he calls me, the guy's like, you know, we, the guys and I were talking. We're a little worried about your Brent. We're not sure you're going to make it. I'm like, justified. So we, we, it's two-man canoes, and, and Josh is with me, and his son is with him. But his son's got some health issues, so we weren't sure if he was going to go. And the Brazos River at that time was really bad. You know, somebody had died because of you know, the, the, the bacteria in it. And so we're making sure nobody's got open wounds and any of these things. But we're going on this adventure. Don't know where we're going to sleep. Don't know how we're going to eat. But we're going. And uh, anyway, so we go down a 40-foot drop. We're lowering the canoes down from the highway to where we're entering the Brazos. And I fall. I fall down. I'm not even there five minutes. I'm full of mud. I'm cut. I'm bleeding. And now I'm getting in this, this water. I'm like, I'm probably going to die. I hope someone makes a cool story at my funeral. So we get in, and now we're paddling, and we're paddling, and I'm so tired, and, and my sweet boy has stopped after mile one. And so he's asking, are we there yet? And I look over at my friend, and, and his son has stopped paddling too, and so we ride at the back of the pack, and, and I'm not having a good time. It was not fun. I was tired. My arms were burning. I wanted to whack my little boy with the paddle because he wasn't working. And I hear my friend shouting at his son, and it's just wonderful father-son time that we are having. <laughs> anyway, we, we're paddling deep into the night. We are exhausted. We, we stop on the side of a, a, a bank, like on the river in the middle of nowhere. Here's this bank. We're like, okay. The guy's like, this is where we're sleeping for the night. We're like, this is awful. But uh, anyway, we get off, and, and it turns out they haven't brought our tent. They made a, a decision without our consent that our tent was too big, and they left it behind. So the guys who brought all the tents, we got no tent. So now him and I and our boys and a couple of the other guys who were going to sleep in our tent, we're out on the sand with just our sleeping bag. And the, the mom of this boy was, was concerned, rightfully so, and make sure that you put sun, sun cream on him and give him his tablets and all of the stuff, you know, because things could go horribly wrong, plus all the disease in the water and stuff. And I look at my friend's son, and he's sunburnt. He hadn't put strike one. Anyway, we're lying there, and it's cold, and we just got our blankets, and it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and it starts to pour down on us. And we're lying there, and now we are cold, and you know, you're just thinking you're going to get sick and all this stuff. And in the deep darkness, I hear this voice of my friend saying, I'm going to get a divorce. <laughs> And a little while later, he says, Deacon, when we get home, don't even look at your mom. 
Don't talk to her. Just go straight up the stairs and go to your room. And we are laughing at two o'clock in the morning in the rain. And, and this adventure carried on. And I tell you what, I loved that adventure. During that adventure, I could not wait for it to end. I couldn't wait. I was just thinking of my wife and my bed and food and not paddling and all of these things. I couldn't wait for it to end. But thinking back, when we talk about it, I wouldn't change a thing. It was incredible. And this is the life that God wants to give you. It will be hard at times. It will be tiring at times. Sometimes you're going to wish you weren't where you were at that moment. But I guarantee you, a life lived for God and trusting God and stepping out in faith and for the adventure that He's calling you to, on your deathbed, you will look back and say, it was wow. It was amazing. It was worthy of the gift that He had put inside of me instead of just hiding and not doing anything and not going outdoors. Proverbially, I'm not talking about you have to go outdoors to live this adventure, but maybe you do. But it's about what God has already put inside of you and you activating that and it's for your personality type. I often look at my brother and I'm like, he's so much better than me. He just talks to people so easy. Do you want to torture me? Put me in a room full of people that I don't know and say, go mingle. It's, it's immediately stressful and overwhelming for me. And you're like, but Brent, you preach, yes, but I'm not having to have individual conversations. It's so exhausting. I like, get home and I'm like, I just need alone time. <laughs> but I have to fight. But you know what? God's got stuff for me that fits my personality. And you know what I could give to the world? Coding and a platform and preaching where I, I can talk to everyone and no one at the same time. You're with me. But often we're comparing ourselves to others and we're diminishing what God has for us because we're not like someone else. I'm glad you're not like someone else. Paul did what he did because that was his personality and his drive and his calling. God has something unique and special for you, but it's already in you. But when we step out in faith, we realize we have nothing to lose, but everything to gain. How many of you ever search cars or houses or, I don't know, shoes, whatever it might be that are out of your price range? Anybody ever just daydream and search stuff? It's not a bad thing to do. Nobody's taking note and is going to judge you on this. I like to do that for this car. This is my favorite daydream car. Lamborghini Aventador SVJ. Look at that thing. I can tell you where all of them are for sale across America, I can tell you in what colors they are, I can tell you what options they have, and how many miles. And this is the amazing thing about these cars, is there are cars that are four years old, and have like 2,000 miles on, and, and 1,200 miles on. And I'm like, if I had a car like this, it'd have 50,000 miles on. My wife like, we need something from the shops, take the Lambo, right? You need eggs, I'm there in the Lambo, Right? I would drive it every day, my everyday driver car, because it's such an amazing car. But why don't people drive it? Because it's expensive to add miles on this car. It actually decreases the value. If you get a scratch or a nick or you wear out the tires, you know, it's an expensive thing to have. But we cannot live life like this. You see, what you need to realize is the more miles you are putting on your life, the more valuable you become. We are meant to burn out the tires. And get scratches and knocks and a few accidents and all of these things. This is the adventure of life. 
I don't believe that we're going to get to heaven. And God's like, tell me what you did with the gift I gave you. And we're like, nothing. I'm perfect. Look, not one wrinkle. I'm in pristine condition. No. No. We pour it out. But in the, in the capacity that God has given us. Amen. Why don't we step out? Fear. I really think it's fear. I think we're scared we're not enough. I think we're scared we don't have what it takes. I think we're scared we're going to fail. And that we're scared we're not good enough like others. And it's all a lie. You see, the path that God has for you, you are enough. This is something I've had to learn. I've always been so nervous to preach. I've preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons. And every time I was so nervous. Because I never felt like I was good enough for that moment in time. I was always projecting to if I could be better. You are exactly where you need to be for this moment. Doesn't mean that next year things you won't be better, more mature, you know, more holy, whatever it might be. But just enjoy where you are right here, right now, in this moment, because God can use you in this capacity, not tomorrow when you're a little better, and next week when you're a little more mature, and in a month from now when you're sinning a little bit less. Right here, right now, where you are, you are good enough for Him. This is the best sermon that I can preach in my life right here, right now. And if in a year it's better, so be it. But this is what I got for here. And God will take that and he will use it in his capacity. Amen. Amen. We've got to put fear aside and we've got to step out like we have nothing to lose. Because in light of eternity, what do we really have to lose? I am going to uh, play a little video. How many of you like uh, America's Got Talent? Yeah. Uh, we love it. We, uh, we Google search, and you can do this on YouTube, just uh, golden buzzer moments. And it's all the, the moments where uh, one of the judges pressed the golden buzzer, which means that no other judge can determine whether they pass or fail. It just shuts them up. When you hit the golden buzzer, that means they're going through, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says. And I need you to understand that about your life. God is the one pressing the golden buzzer on your life. It doesn't matter what your teacher at school said. It doesn't matter what this person at work said. It doesn't matter what a family member said. You're not good enough. You can't do it. You can't make it. Or you know, you, you, you're divorced or you washed up or whatever it might be. So therefore, you don't promote to the next round. They don't get a vote. That golden buzzer by the blood of Jesus is what helps us to move forward in every circumstance and every situation. Now, I hope that this video inspires you when you realize how much good you can do with so little. And watch the judges' faces throughout this video. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to America's Got Talent. What's your name? I'm Cody. Hi, Cody. I'm Cody. How old are you? I am 22 years old. Yeah. Who are you, miss? Who are you? I'm Mom. Oh, I'm hi, Tina Mom. Lee. Hi, hi Tina. Hi, Tina. Hi, Tina. 
What are you going to do here for us today? I'm going to sing a song for you on the piano. I love it. Tina, tell us a little bit about Cody. Cody is blind and autistic. Wow. We found out that he loved music really early on. He listened and his eyes just went huge. And he started singing. And that's when I just, I was in tears because that's when I realized, oh my gosh, he's an entertainer. So, through music and performing, he was able to withstand living in this world because when you're autistic, it's really hard Mm -hmm. to do what everybody else does. It actually has saved his life playing music. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Well, we'd love to hear you. Go for it. You ready? I'm ready. in my life and time I've sung a lot of songs and I've made some bad rhymes I've acted in my life on stages ten thousand people watching yeah we're alone now and I'm singing this song inspired you can give uh, you can give him a clap for you know it's why would I take five minutes of my sermon to play that video because that right there is the crux of what I want to resonate in your heart you see we can all find reasons to disqualify ourselves why we are not good enough why we can't do something or be something whatever it might be but here's the key 
Cody didn't do what he did to be on America's Got Talent. If you heard what the mom said, he did what he did because he loved it. He loved music. He loved playing. He loved entertaining. He loved making people smile or whatever it might be. And the fact that he was blind or autistic doesn't matter. He just did what he could in his capacity. And guess what? Eventually it impacted the world. I believe that God wants to drop the jaws of people the way that we saw those jaws drop of the judges through your life. Because the world looks at you and goes, oh my goodness, I was expecting one thing and look what the Lord has done and they give him praise. You see, but it's not you trying to be something else or trying to have some gifts that you don't have. It's just doing what you love, what he has already put inside of you and stepping out in faith and trust to do something like you've got nothing to lose. I, uh, uh, I didn't share this in first service, but uh, looking at Isabella, uh, you must ask her, for those of you who don't know, she's got her art in, As- in the Aspen Art Gallery. She's got her paintings all over there. And uh, if you hear the story of how that happened, she walked into the, the gallery and went to the guy who, who runs the place and said, you need to see my art. And the guy's like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, like, thank you, get out. But, and she's like, no, you need to see my art. Look here, here's my art. And like shoved the phone in his face. You know, and now her art is there and it's, people are buying it and, and hearing the story and she's giving glory to God. But what I'm saying is, that's what she does. Now, if I went in there, I was like, you need to see my art. They'd be like, security. <laughs> that's not where my gifting is or my passion or anything else. It's what God has already put inside of you. Stepping out and using what you have. This is how we change the world. We're not even trying to change the world. We're just doing what we love, but we're doing it and committing it to God and putting it in His hands and, and praying and blessing over it and just stepping out in that. And, and He is the one that has the impact. You with me? That guy was doing what he loved. And people were inspired and touched and changed. And people who had excuses before said, no, I'm not letting that hold me back because of a disability or anything. I'm going to do what I love. That is what we are called to be. I want you to hear a disastrous story, a hopeless story that we can relate to in this world. Sometime later, however, King Benadad of Amran mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. And a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Do you know how desperate a situation must be when people are buying dove's dung? How many of you have ever seen like a bird poop on something and you looked at it and you're like, hmm. That would look good on Ritz crackers. Nobody. It's never entered your mind. Now it will, and you'll be like, ugh. But this is how desperate they were that something that is normally discarded is now selling because they are so desperate. How do you get out of a circumstance or situation like that? And I know it's all relative, and some of us are maybe in a circumstance or we're going through a circumstance and it seems so hopeless, like I don't know how I'm ever going to come through this situation. But I want you to know that God's solution for this story and God's solution for what's happening in the world today is the same. When we look at cities, and the country, and all of these things. I've heard so many times, like, 
America's in so much trouble, and America is in trouble. And, you know, these are such dark days, and all of these things, all those things are true. But I want you to know the solution is still the same. As long as there are those who believe in God, there is hope, and there is a solution. Right? I want to... uh, I want to qualify every single person sitting here and remove any doubt that you are good enough to be used by God. In this story, we're about to read about those who God selected to turn the tide of everything that's going on. Before we get there, if you don't know this story, what do you think the qualifications would be to rescue this awful situation? Maybe somebody who's got great might and can destroy the enemy. Yes, that would be a logical thing, right? Or or God's going to rain down fire from heaven or, you know, any of those things. Are you ready to read about the characteristics of the heroes of the story? Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. If that doesn't qualify you, nothing will. Lepers were the absolute outcasts, discarded. Nobody wanted them. They were rejected. They were sitting at the city gates because they weren't welcome anywhere else. They were unclean. They were unsafe. And these are the men. These are the people that God chooses to rescue one of the darkest, most awful stories in Scripture. So hopeless. He's about to choose some men that have zero to offer. They have nothing to offer. They don't have money. They don't have food. They don't have weapons. They have absolutely nothing. But there's one key thing here. Well, actually three that I want to read for you. They say to each other, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other, we will starve if we stay here because of the famine in the city. We will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Armenian army. If they let us live, well, So much better for us. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. Don't you like that? Nothing to lose. Like, let's try it. If we die, we die. Sounds like that guy from Rocky. So they've got nothing to lose. But here's the key thing. They would not remain where they were any longer. And this is so important. If you want to step out and see God move in your life, You've got to get to the place where you refuse to remain in that state, in that rut, in that circumstance, or that situation any longer. You've got to step out. Now, we always pray for direction, and we always pray for wisdom, but sometimes it's just taking the next logical, best decision that you can make. We just went through this with the kids at school. We couldn't tour the schools because of COVID, and we had to pick between two schools, and so we prayed. And we made the best logical decision that we could, right? To choose the wrong school for them. (laughs) So you do the best you can. And then you trust it to the Lord. Sometimes we beat ourselves up over like, I'm not hearing from God. If you have prayed and you have waited and you have sought and nothing comes, make the best decision that you can. And trust that the Lord goes with you. And if you make the wrong decision, He will clean up your mess. You hear what I'm saying? And keep journeying. Keep going. So these guys are like, we're going to die anyway. Let's go try our luck, is what they're basically saying. And maybe things turn out for good. You with me? Here's three things that I pulled from this. It was regular people making the best decisions that they could where they were in their life. 
Number two, they wanted to live, but death wasn't the worst option for them. It's like, man, if we die, we tried our best. Imagine we could approach life like that. I'm going to go for it, and if I die, well, that's okay. We should. And number three, they refused to remain in that place any longer. Something had to change. For me, God often starts to stir me up. I start to get restless. And it starts as a little like annoyance, like, I don't love this as much as I used to. You know, and then it eventually builds into something like, we're going and I don't care if we die. And uh, that's, that's how the Lord works in my heart. But we have got very different personalities. And I wanted to give you a realistic look on the other side of the equation uh, from my beautiful wife and what it's like for her as we try to live this life of adventure, of, of going where God is calling us. And uh, why don't you come up here, my wife? Um, I need these just in case. So my um, personality, if you haven't already guessed, or if you don't know us, is, is quite opposite to Brent. And when he's like, let's go do this, I'm like, no. <laughs> um, I never get restless. So I say that he, he fights to shake up the status quo. I fight to keep the status quo. And I don't know if there's anybody else here that can relate to that. Maybe especially, maybe it's a woman thing. You know, we kind of want to build our nest. And, you know, when life is good, we, we want to keep it like that. And, um, and, and life was good in, in Houston. We had, we had built a beautiful, beautiful home um, in a wonderful neighborhood. The kids were at good schools. We had great friends. And, and life was really good. And I think sometimes it's even harder to step out into something new when things are good because it doesn't really make sense. You know, why would you step out of something that's really good? And so when he kind of started to talk about this, that we were going to move, you know, I was like, I was not just a little scared. I was actually a little angry. <laughs> I was like, why would you do this to us? Um, but of course, the Lord had to deal with me in a different way than what he, he dealt with Brent. And, and I really had to come to the realization that just because things are good, I think that tends to lead a little bit more into complacency. Um, where we, we don't have to live by faith and we don't need the Lord as much. And, and the Lord, you know, requires that we all really live by faith. And as Brent has been saying, that looks different for everybody. Um, but, uh, you know, we had I kind of found our, our lives were in a place where we, things are good. And, but, you, you know, when you think about that, you, you follow that trail down the road and you're like, okay, my kids are talking about what high school they're going to go to and then it's about what college they go to and then they hope to land up in a good neighborhood. You know, I mean, that's the American dream that, you know, we so often are pursuing even when we don't intend to. And when you kind of find yourself in that, you realize it's, it's not all that. Um, and so, you know, I had to come to that realization that life is an adventure. And of course, me having to lean into the Lord in that and, and fight the anxieties and the fears that come with that looks different to what Brent needs to do. Um, and so, I, you know, there was a, a part of me that I was like, this might be a mistake. But, and I was okay with that because I know that the Lord will, will fix those things. And, and I feel like that even may be a word for a woman here or a wife here today to give your husbands the freedom to make a mistake. Um, like Brent spoke about last week, the Lord will fix it. Um, but we have to, sometimes I think as a woman, 
we tend to hold our husbands back because we, we like how our lives are. But hopefully that speaks to somebody today. Give, give your husband the freedom to make a mistake. It's, the Lord will fix it. Anyway, I was at a, a women's conference. They told the story about the parable of the talents. And the one that buried his talent and the, the master dealt with him pretty heavily. And the reason why is because he did nothing with it. He really played it safe. And in today's world, we would say that's responsible. You know, that's great. But the thing is, is according to the Bible, that was, that was not good at all. But the one who really got praised and got called a good and faithful servant was the one who went and did something with those talents, and he came back with more. How many more he came back with is irrelevant. The fact is that he had to take risk, right, to make more. It took faith and it took risk. And so I came back after hearing that, and I was like, you're doing great. <laughs> I'm with you. Let's do this. It's the right thing. And, and not that I was, you know, at that point in time, I wasn't still resisting him. But, um, but it just made me, it just affirmed that this is the life that we are supposed to live um, is, is a life where we're having to step out in faith and we're having to lean into the Lord and trust him in ways that is outside of our personalities or our bents or our fears and things like that. So I hope that that does speak to, um, to somebody here today. That's wonderful. <laughs> and I, I didn't sh- share this first service, but when my wife came back, well, actually she texted me some of that before she even got home. I was in tears because I was at that place of like, I've made a mistake. Like, I can't believe I've wrecked my family. My kids hate their school. Uh, you know, it's not what we thought it was going to be. The animals are dying. You know, the plants are gray. <laughs> but... It came at the perfect time, and I, and I say that to, to, to let you know that stepping out in faith, it doesn't automatically mean like you just upbeat every day. There's some downbeat days. There's some days that you really think you've made a mistake, you've messed up, you've, you've, you know, you, you've ruined everything. And I, I couldn't share this first service because it hadn't happened yet. But between the services, uh, I continued having a conversation with somebody about Squirrel. Do you remember me talking about Squirrel last week? I, I stepped out and started the social platform and like it's so expensive and not sure if it's going to make it. And they are doing a deal with us on Squirrel that's going to, it's going to change the trajectory of what we've done. From one Sunday, me sharing last week to this Sunday, God has already changed this story. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't mean there weren't some really scary times and there'll be more scary times, but that's what faith is. Faith isn't having all the facts and and everything in front of you and going, okay, it's going to work out. No, it's not knowing that it's going to work out, but trusting in a good God as you step out and use all that you have, whether it's singing or whether it's painting or whether it's just inviting somebody over and listening to them talk and making somebody feel loved. We, We think it's got to be these big grand things. But as you're about to see, it's not always the grand things that God can use to do great things. So at twilight, they set out. Who set out? The lepers. They set out for the camp of the Armenians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenian army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else. And they fled 
for their lives. Do you know what they heard? They heard the footsteps of lepers, that God took that small seed and used it into something incredible. Those lepers turned the tide of the wall when that wasn't even their intention. And that's what I'm saying with your life. You don't even have to set sail to change the world. Just do what God has already put inside of you and do it because you refuse to hide your light under a bush and step out with your little leper legs and off you go in whatever the direction, whatever God is calling you, and it's different. And that's so wonderful. It's different. So many different things here in this body. And God will take that and he will blow your minds when one day you realize you have impacted the world. And somebody on the other side of the earth says, hey, I was visiting Aspen one time and my tire was flat and you stopped your car and pumped it up and said, hey, remember Jesus loves you. And that was at a time that I wanted nothing to do with God and it changed my life. Little leper footsteps and it changes the world. And this is what you've got to realize. Stop diminishing what you have. Stop diminishing what you can do. My son has such courage to speak the truth. Like, he, he, I don't even know. Like, he could be a president one day who's unfazed by pressure and stuff from anybody. It does, he doesn't matter who he's talking to. It can be a pastor. It can be a president or something. Like, if he disagrees with that person, he's just telling him straight. And he's not trying to be rude or anything. But he'll like, no, I don't agree with that. Where We would be like, I think I'm just going to keep quiet. He has such a gift. And this, this is what makes him unique. Right? And I've got, a, I've got a parent that, well, my daughter, she's drawing the most incredible stuff. And I'm thinking about this in light of eternity. Lord, what do we do with these gifts? But I want them to love what they do. And not like, okay, you've got to make sure you're using this for Jesus. No, I want to steward their love and passion and excitement. And then it will be used for Jesus. You with me? And my wife has an unbelievable gift of grace. She has never said this is your fault when many times it was absolutely my fault. Always backing me. She is the wind beneath my wings. And God gives us these different people and opportunities and that because we don't walk alone. These lepers, there was four of them. They had each other to like, okay, we'll do this. God will always give you somebody to help you get there. The disciples went out in twos. Paul always had some, somebody that he was relying on or helping him. We just make the next best decision we can. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but I moved to Aspen because I was in a bad place. My brother had moved here to play rugby. Me, uh, I had spent the last two years of living in South Africa high from morning to night. When I discovered this cure that I could find for anger, I was like, man, this is amazing. It changed my whole personality and I loved it because I didn't like my personality. You see, some of us hate on ourselves because we're not like someone else, not realizing God made you this way and he wants to use you how you are. Yes, we get refined. And so I made the best logical decision that I could make was to move out of my circumstance and just get to Aspen. Didn't know how I was going to make money. 
Didn't know how I was going to eat. Didn't know what I was going to do. I arrived here with two suitcases and $2,400. No job, no anything. Just knew that I could make the best possible decision to get out and trusting that God would help me on the other side, even though I'd got myself into that situation and circumstance. And now look at the story. Hey? Do you think God's used my life to, to help a few people? But it started with a decision when I was in a bad place to just move myself slightly, just to make a little leper leap from one country to the other. And maybe that's where your journey starts. You're in a situation, a relationship, a, a job, a circumstance, an addiction, or, or it's something good. It's not always bad things, and that's what Daniela was saying. So I. I was the senior pastor of Sandbox Church, which I had started four years ago. We had planted a bunch of churches, raised up a bunch of people, helping uh, you know, missions uh, in South Africa and all of these things. It was good. But like Forrest Gump, you know that scene where he's running, and he's running, and everybody's running with him. And then he just stops. He's like, stops running, and everyone's like, what are you doing? Keep running. It's like, I'm done. And, and, the, and the guilt of that moment was so intense for me. Like I've, I've failed God, I've failed my family, I've failed the church, I've failed all these things because I just lost the desire to continue on this path. You hear what I'm saying? You hear about all these pastors quitting and everything like that. I'm like, I'm one of those guys. But it wasn't. You see, I trained up leaders and this work continued. That's how you know when you've done something well. It's when other people can do it without you. When they can carry on and it gets even better without you. But many of us don't want to let go of what God has first called us to because we're too scared to grab hold of the next thing because it means letting go of one thing. And when I realized that God leads me by the passion in my heart and for me to have continued on would have been terrible. In fact, there are some pastors who are in pulpits that need a step down. Like 10 years ago, like buddy, Thank you for all you've done. But like, let the next generation come. God has something else for you. You with me? We think because God called us to one thing that we must keep doing that. And now we've lost the joy. We've lost the passion. We're just going through the grind. And not realizing God has shifted because he's trying to use us in a different situation or circumstance. Maybe God called you to Aspen 10 years ago. And it really was God. And now he's trying to call you somewhere else and you're like fighting his voice. Because you're like, no, God called me to Aspen. Yes, he did. Now he's calling you to Glenwood. Off you go. He's like, no. Are you with me? You had dreams. You had desires. You had passions and you fought them down. Or situations in life fought them down and you let go of them. And God wants to revive that in you because it's not just about you. When you walk in what God has called you to, it impacts the whole world and you don't even realize that. But from heaven's perspective, it's so easy to see. That Cody Lee impacted the world because he had the courage to pursue something that I bet was not easy. I don't know how many hours he put into, but he loved it. And when you would rise up and just do what you love to do, and step out, and sometimes it will cost you, and sometimes it will hurt, the world becomes a better place. Hand in hand with God, and you trip. It's like me trying to walk my mom across the roads when it's icy. <laughs> and God's got us, and he's stable, 
And sometimes we fall and he picks us back up and it just adds to our story. You know why I have compassion? It's not because I was born compassionate. Do you know why I have compassion? Because I've been there. You hear me? Until you've been judged by people, you don't have compassion not to judge people. Until you've tripped and fallen, you don't have compassion when people have fallen to like, your heart goes out to them. And this is part of the journey that God is refining and making in us. If we were just perfect all the time, we would be so hard. But when we step out in adventure and you watch somebody fall down a 40-foot drop, you don't say, what an idiot. <laughs> You're like, been there. Amen. Amen. I dare you to respond today, to take that first leper step and say, God has qualified me and God has called me. He's golden buzzard me. But just don't do nothing. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.